and welcome to Dressing Room Talk. Today's episode is Follow the Things That Excite You with Lexi and Jesse Sharp. Michaela, would you like to introduce our guest? I have to t- take a collective breath today because I'm really excited that Jesse and Lexi Sharp are here with us today of Sharp Studios. Both of you, please say hello to all of our Dressing Room Talk listeners. Hi. Hey, you guys. <laughs> Happy to be here. It's really exciting. It's really exciting. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so they are veteran professional working actors and the duo behind Sharp Studios. They will talk more about all of the incredible things that they've done and the work that they've done so far in their careers as we continue to have this conversation today. But I do want to mention that my very, very good friend, Jackie Blasting in New York City, who is also one of our guests on the podcast this season, decided to work with them and they became her coaches over the past year and a half. And uh, I was looking for a voice teacher over the pandemic and she was like, you really need to work with Lexi Sharp. And I was like, I have no idea who that is, but I'll go creep on her. And I creeped on her and she's incredible. And I was like, I'm totally working with this chick like are you kidding <laughs> she's a redhead and six foot and can skrelt yeah <laughs> like no question <laughs> and that was like one of the best days of the pandemic for me because I was really struggling with motivation and really in the thick of healing personally and going through stuff and having her become my teacher and then working also working with Jesse has been truly one of the biggest blessings of my career so far. Like, I don't need to get work. I need them. (laughs) So uh, I am so really incredibly excited that they're here today. Thank you guys so much for coming. You're You're so welcome. 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 And thank you. The fact that we got to meet you a week ago. Yeah, Yeah. in person. And thank you for your sweet words. That's really, really kind. Yeah. We love working with you. Yeah, it's it's very (laughs) genuine. And Grace is also obsessed with you. So we just... You have like huge fans. But we here. got we got to meet Grace. And we too. loved uh, working with Grace. Grace, you killed the uh, the dance combo in our master class oh. last week. Oh, thank you so much. My very first dance call was so scary. You were excellent. <laughs> got to start You're somewhere, so you know. You do. <laughs> oh goodness. So I think that we should dive right in because yeah. I'm ready to hear them speak about all of the things. I never get to hear them talk. They have to listen to me talk. So let's yeah. do this. Okay, so. <laughs> We're going to start by asking you guys um, a little bit of an origin story, um, how you guys caught sure. the theater bug and like the choices that you made coming into this career, like the schools you chose to go to, um, and also a little bit about how you guys met because you guys met on a contract, correct? Yeah, we did. We met on the international yeah. tour of the Adams Family. So um, yeah, before that tour... I had been touring with um, Young Frankenstein, the musical. That was my first tour out of college. I went to the Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music. That's where I went and I have a BFA in musical theater from there. And um, when I graduated, uh, the day after I graduated, I drove to the city. So with my friend Chris, and we drove (laughs) from Cincinnati to the city and I, I just moved straight to the city without a real plan, to be honest with you, and without a lot of money, I just knew that that was the plan and that I was scrappy and I was going to figure it out. And so um, that was, (laughs) I graduated in 2010 and uh, came to the city and started auditioning um, for everything. And luckily, uh, through some of my own submission work, I had gotten some work in Florida and some different things. But my first big job once I got here was that I was in the Young Frankenstein tour. And it was when I was on that tour that there was a breakdown that went out for the um, Adams Family International Tour. And there was a track in particular that was like, it was meant to cover Morticia and Alice, um, who's the crazy woman who climbs the table in Act Two, if anybody knows the show, and is the Beinecke mother. (laughs) And um, it was super specific because it said, you know, must be able to sing a low E and soprano and be tall enough to play Morticia, but, and they're like, and can sing alto, but can also do all of this legit work, uh, the legit soprano stuff to play (laughs) Alice. And so I looked at that and I was like, yeah, I can do that. That's going to be me, you know? And I was like, they're going to have a hard time casting that because it's just so specific. I was on the road. So that's when I emailed Mark Minnick and uh, who is the producer of that tour. Yeah, producer and casting director. Casting director. And I emailed him and I was like, hi, I'm currently on the road. I can't make your calls, um, but I'm telling you, it's me. This track right here. You need somebody who can cover Morticia and Alice. And I was like, it's definitely me. I'm six feet tall. Here's my vocal range. And that's, it's me. And 
he was like, well, we really need to see people in person. And I was like, I totally understand that, but I can't call out for my show, the whole thing. And then eventually, long winding story, um, the show was upstate and I left after a Sunday matinee, drove into the city, did my audition like Monday morning and then drove back in time for the shows again on Tuesday. <laughs> oh my <Whoa>. God. <laughs> yeah, and that ended up being, they passed the first couple of times on even giving me an audition because um, he was like, well, we really need to see you in person. And I was pretty persistent. I was like, I understand that, but if you need me to tape anything, if you need me, I'm I'm your gal. He was like, I really appreciate that. Um, we really need to see people in person. And then that email I got, it was literally like, okay, so this is the finals. They haven't seen me do anything yet. This is the finals. Mm -hmm. Jerry Zachs is there. It's the sign off. Do you think you can really do this and deliver? And I was like, yep, I can. And they sent me the packet. It was like 45 pages because <laughs> um, it was all the Morticia stuff and all the Alice stuff. So the first time I ever went in was just for the final callbacks with all of the people who had been in the final callbacks. Whew. So wow. my first time going in for that tour was for all of the producers and everything, which is very unusual. And it just goes to show like, you know, I would have hated me if I was those people who'd gone in, you know, one, two, three, four, eight times. And then you're in the finals and you're like, who is this girl? Like, you know, where has she been? Mm -hmm. We've all been like mm -hmm. here going through it. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm, I say that long winding story about Adam's family because that's what led me to uh, meeting Jesse. <laughs> and it was the contract Aww. that I just, I knew I was like, oh, I'm supposed to be on this. I'm, I, when you read a breakdown, you're like, that's me. That was that. And then yeah. um, we ended up on the road. Jesse was playing Gomez. Um, mm -hmm. I ended up as mm -hmm. an ancestor who was covering Morticia and Alice, that track that they were talking about. And we started dating. We started dating right after Lexi. Lexi um, temporarily replaced Morticia, who was injured. Uh, Lexi played Morticia for a long time. And so yeah. we started dating after the first week of going on together. So we'd only, we'd known each other about six weeks, two months, you know, about two months. And then um, <laughs> we started dating. We've been together ever since. Yeah. And that was like one of those total like tormances. <laughs> That people like do not expect to outlive the tour. No, no one on that tour expected us to <laughs> expected us to be anything. And in <laughs> fact, we we were engaged. Yeah, we got engaged on the tour. It was a very long contract. Um, wow. Six months after we started dating, and everyone was like, "Oh, good luck!" Like yeah, they, well, <laughs> they were like, I think counting the days until uh, until the breakup and expecting that the marriage would never happen. And, here we are eight years later. Yeah. So it happened. Yeah. Crushed it. Crushed it. Crushed it. Sometimes your torments uh, becomes your husband or your yeah. wife or your partner, I guess. <laughs> so I'd always made a rule to not date an actor either. So this was the first actor I dated oh. as well. That's so. really funny. Yeah. All the rules were made. <laughs> I had been dating a, a teacher and trying not to date actors, but I really, I was so into <laughs> so into the business that I was like, there's no way I'm ever going to be with anybody who's who not, doesn't get it. Who doesn't get it. Like, yeah. You know. It's a fine dance, you know? Yeah. Because it's one of those things of it's it's in some ways, at least the partner, when you are doing the same thing, gets it and understands the demands. And, you know, since that tour, Jesse and I have also been apart, you know, for a lot of contracts, uh, mm -hmm. whether it was Jesse going off to do a regional gig in Denver or um, I was on tour for two years with uh, the School of Rock tour and you kind of navigate that, but it's, it's an unusual lifestyle if you're choosing to uh, yeah. partner with somebody. As two sort of working theater actors who are, we're, you know, where we are in our careers, regional theater and national tours are a big part of what we audition for and what, yeah. we're, what we're after. So we are always like, it seems like a couple times a year, crossing the bridge of how do we make this work? When are you going to visit? You know, and, and we always make it work. It, we, I don't think Lexi and I have ever been apart longer than three and a half, four weeks. Yeah. And usually we'll have big stretches. So it's like, if it's a 12 week job, like if I'm gone 12 weeks, Lexi will come out after three, stay for four. Then, le you know, we usually, we make it work and we, um, we don't really like long distance. Like we like to be physically in the same space. So we, you know, I always make sure when whatever actor housing we're offered, like it must be big enough for my wife and must be dog friendly. <laughs> yeah, those are kind of our yeah. non-negotiables to bring those kind of comforts yeah. with you. We're those crazy people that bring our dog on the regional contracts. So 
but people get used to it. I mean, and he went on all my, he went on my tour with me too. <laughs> yeah. When, when Lexi was on School of Rock, um, 2017, 18 and 19, I was probably on the road 80% of the time, I would guess. Yeah. Um, when I, I would have long stretches, six weeks with Lexi on the road, then go back to the city for a week or go off and do a gig for a few weeks. So that's how we did that one. It was, we knew it was going to be a big tour and she ended up taking a second year. So a two year ended up being a two year adventure. So, you know, we, we did what we had to do. And, um, and that's, that's a priority for us. It's sort of like, okay, if one of us gets a tour, if one of us books a TV show, like the other one is part of the package. The other one is coming along in some way, shape or form. <laughs> or at least visiting frequently. Or at least visiting frequently. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think that's, that's been, that's been a, a real key for us figuring that out. Yeah. But we do spend like an unusual amount of time together, I think, uh, <laughs> compared to other people. We do. I mean, like, you know, we we run our business together. We like we do a lot of things together. We spend a lot of time together we do. in every aspect, which I, I've come to realize, I think, is is unusual. <laughs> I do. I do think it's unusual. I think Lexi and I, we're also best friends. We like yeah. we like each other. We like to hang out and we love each other. So it is. You know, it's it's just kind of how it naturally it's kind of naturally happened that way. We we started Sharp Studios kind of on a whim. Like Lexi had been teaching um, pretty seriously before the Adams Family. Yes, I had been teaching um, as a as a teaching assistant when I was in grad school. So I taught at the college level, and I had some experience as an acting coach. But when we finished Adams Family, it's like okay, let's let's throw up a shingle, let's start a business. So we called it Sharp Studios. And for the first five years or so, it was sort of, you know, we'd, we'd be busy, but then we'd be slow. We'd have sometimes with a lot of clients and sometimes less. And, and the last two years have, have really, it's gotten real. It's really become a, a real business, a real brand. And we have a ton of clients and really fantastic people, people working in the business at top levels and, and young people working in community theaters. Like we really, our, our studio runs the gamut. Yeah. Um, I guess should I talk about my origin story? Yes, please. Yeah, I, I didn't even talk <laughs> yes. about. Yeah. I didn't even talk about my origin story. I just dropped. I, I pretended like I'm born. No, <laughs> you were born at CCM. Yeah, yeah, exactly. With my origin. Well, with my origin story is I was I was born at CCM. That's that's what I said. Well, Lexi, you you wouldn't be able to tell because she had accent reduction class, but Lexi was born in Alabama. Yeah, yeah. So I'm actually. Oh, yeah. Let me let me finish my you origin go back story. To, back yeah. to the top. Yeah, I'm originally I'm originally from Birmingham, Alabama. Um, so I grew up doing theater there. What people don't realize, I don't know what people think about Alabama. You know, lots of things. But in Birmingham, at least, is a um, it's a city. So. Um, we have a lot of the arts, uh, available there. It's a big arts town. Um, and so I actually grew up in a group called the Red Mountain Theater Company doing a lot of professional shows and training there. And I knew very early on that I wanted to do this. Um, I have a very musical family. I took a violin from the time I was five on. Um, I took piano lessons. I took voice lessons I, I tried everything as a kid. I painted, I did horseback riding. I kind of tried everything, a traveling softball team, and then eventually really landed that what I wanted to do was something in the arts and specifically musical theater. And I remember going to my parents in ninth grade and um, I had printed out all these things from Google. Um, and this is like pre-Glee, so it wasn't cool to be a musical theater major. <laughs> this wasn't like uh, the cool new thing. Because um, there was a big explosion, honestly, after Glee of like musical theater being cool and people mm -hmm. and all these programs all of mm -hmm. a sudden having musical theater majors. But before that, I had gone and I had um, researched basically top musical theater schools uh, on Google, kind of just typed it in and then called a meeting with my parents in ninth grade and set them down on the kitchen table and was like, hey, so I am going to major in musical theater. It's a thing. These are the top schools. This is where I'm going to apply. And they were like, oh, wow. okay. <laughs> like, you know, and Bold, I remember yes. them. I've always been, I've always been very independent like that of like, this is what we're going to do. And, and I remember my parents, you know, I was lucky. I, my parents were supportive of me uh, pursuing whatever I wanted to pursue but it was also one of those things of 
I knew that I was the one who was going to have to handle that. You know, it was like, well, Mm -hmm. you know, my parents helped me with college, but it was really all of my student loans and things. It was very clear that was my responsibility. And, you know, my, my parents lovingly, I remember my dad said to me once very lovingly, he's like, whatever you do, I want you to love what you do, but we just don't have the means to like catch you. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like we love you. You can always come home, but we don't have the means to catch you. So You know, it it was like a really sweet way I knew of him saying, I'm supporting you, but we can't financially support you. We don't have that luxury. And I appreciated that. But I remember when he said that, I was like, I understand. Like, I got it, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of scrappiness of like just always knowing that I, I am responsible for my life and I'm responsible for my decisions and my happiness and and my pursuit has always made me feel fearless uh, because it's up to me, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, and he wasn't saying like, we're not going to catch you. He's just saying like, you know, my parents are just, I don't know, like blue collar, like, you know, just run of the mill people. So it's like, you know, they're saying you're always welcome home, but we just don't have the means to, for you to, you know, support your life while you might pursue the arts. But that kind of, was I had a conviction to make it happen for myself. Um, And I've always, I will say I've always been like that. I've always been someone who is very determined. I've always been someone who has a lot of energy. I like a lot of people ask me about that. I I can go, go, go. Um, But as I've gotten older, I've gotten better about how to harness that energy and, and how to turn that into like basically use all of my energy and my focus and everything for good, if that makes any sense. <laughs> it's one of those things that I think like everyone has their strengths and too much of anything uh, can be destructive. So my determination, too much of all of that determination, focus, drive, willingness to get something right uh can be destructive if you don't balance it out with other things. And as I've gotten older, I've gotten better about balancing out. Mm. But I'm from Birmingham, Alabama, from a very musical family. Um, My granddad was a minister of music in a Baptist church, so my dad sings super well. Um, He was always singing and humming around the house. My mom is a music teacher. She's retired now, but I grew up. uh, She has a master's in xylophones. Um, So a really wacky (laughs) musical family. Um, Nice. And who was always very supportive of my musical endeavors, you know, paying for my violin lessons and and all of those things. Um, And then I ended up auditioning at like 21 musical theater schools, which at the time was unheard of. Now it's like standard because you got to get in somewhere and um, going to CCM and then off on the road with a bunch of um, tours and choosing to move to New York immediately. So I, I went back. I, you you back. I looped back. We got your origin story. Yeah, so you can go now. It's like it's, it's like uh, the movie. The movie starts in the present, and then we flash back. That's exactly what I did. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah. I started. I started in the middle, and then I gave you like a big rewind, like exactly. whoop, and I'll, then you I'll give you a more linear tale. Yeah, and we'll see. Well, you know those those like those childhood ones are the ones that shape you. So you got to wait till like baby, further yeah. in the movie to get to those. You oh, know what I feel I mean? that uh, it was good. Yeah, no yeah. Those mean something. Yeah. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> But Jesse will give you linear. I'll try. I'll probably jump around. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I was born in 1980. So You're I'm, gonna tell I your think age. I'm the oldest one uh, in the podcast space today. Um, I, I grew up uh, in a tiny little town about an hour and a half outside LA. I grew up in this little place called Fraser Park, which is a very like middle of nowhere, kind of rural California town, um, but only an hour and a half from a giant city. And it was great. I had a a nice childhood, like literally riding bikes, building tree forts, playing baseball, like very, very, very good, very healthy, um, uh, (laughs) lovely family, two sisters. Um, the, the thing that I knew early on is that I was obsessed with movies. Um, I actually thought about this earlier today. My parents took me to Universal Studios when I was five, I remember going with my mom and Harry to Universal Studios. It's kind of a, it, it's silly. Um, I mean, in some ways that it was so profound. I was five years old, but the in those days, like Universal obviously is a very popular theme park, but in the mid eighties, it hadn't quite 
gotten to theme park land yet. It was still very much all about the studio. And so the tour was really all about going into sound stages, watching the process of how movies get made. And there were a couple shows that were about how does sound work? How does lighting work? It was far more about showing the public the process of movie making, um, which they still do, but it also has like a ride component, right? But I remember being that young and being so blown away because I loved going to the movies. Like I was really lucky to be born when the coolest movies were coming out. Like I saw E.T., Return of the Jedi, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I saw all these like you know, early 80s blockbusters, either in the drive-in or, or on screen as a really little kid. And it had a real, real big impact on me. And so I knew I wanted to do something in the movies. And I thought for years that I wanted to direct. I was like, well, the, the person in charge who makes these movies is the director. So when I was a little kid, when anyone would ask me, what are you going to do? I'm going to be a director. I'm going to direct movies. And then I feel like around 11 or 12, there was a drama elective that I took so I like could act for the first time. And it coincided with um, this couple who had been professional working actors moving to our little town and setting up an acting workshop for kids. They did, nothing like that had ever existed. There was like dance, but no, no community theater, nothing. So as I was sort of coming of age, we had these professional actors setting up a kid's acting class and I had a drama elective in junior high. And I just, I gravitated to it right away. So I knew about 12, 13 that I wanted to be an actor. And so I did it at the community level. I did it in high school, did my first musicals in high school. Um, I knew I wanted to start acting professionally right away. I, I actually, college was, I knew I wanted to go to college and wanted to finish, but it wasn't as much of a priority. My grades in high school also weren't very good. So I was sort of of the mind that like, I'll apply to a couple real reaches. Like I'll apply to Juilliard and NYU. If I don't get in, I'll just like get into the business. That, <laughs> that was my thinking at 18 years old. And lo and behold, I didn't bold. get in to it's either. Bold. It's bold. I ended up studying theater at a junior college called Santa Barbara City College in Santa Barbara, California, which is also about like 90 miles from LA. And coincidentally, I had incredible teachers. I've been very lucky the whole early part of my career to run into these people who had, you know, amazing careers before they started teaching. They were either on television or worked on Broadway. And so I had these great mentors. And so in those years, I started going to LA to do extra work, to take professional classes. And then I took my junior year off and moved to LA and started auditioning. I got an agent right away and was very lucky with that and started auditioning for commercials and when you're young and don't know what you're doing, you can actually do okay. It's when you get older, like LA definitely loves youth, um, which is what I tell people. And I found that for myself. So I started my career and then I ended up transferring to UCLA, finishing my degree in theater. I uh, ended up on the five-year plant because I took that year <laughs> off. Um, but that enabled me to continue auditioning and working professionally. And it was great. I booked a few things and had some really interesting close calls with very big things. So I got used to like big show business rejection very early, which I think is a good way to thicken your skin. Yeah. Did that. And then was a I was a working actor in L.A. I <laughs> lived in New York for a couple years in my 20s as well. Eventually booked a tour. I went to Asia with the international tour of Greece. I played Vince Fontaine. I did that for two Tell them about the uh, shoes. Which shoes? The, when you <laughs> your flip-flops. That's a funny story. It's a good one. You should tell them about it. When, when we were on tour, we were playing a venue in South Korea that had literally no air conditioning backstage. It was really, really hot. So people would be like in half costume backstage. Yeah, like half dress. And so oh. Vince Fontaine has like these really great moments, but then 20 minutes off stage, 30 minutes off stage. So after the prom, the prom starts the second act, you do the hand jive, do the whole thing. Vince has a good like 20 minutes where he's not seen. And then you come back for the finale. I had taken off my show shoes because they were uncomfortable show <laughs> shoes. I put on flip-flops. And I had velour pants that I had, or velvet, I guess, velvet pants that I had rolled up to the knees so that I could be cool. And then I just hung out in my dressing room in red. Well, I got distracted and realized that the finale is starting and I need to be on stage. So I like rushed to the stage in my flip-flops, pants still rolled up, and I did the full finale. 
the, the, the hand jive reprise, the whole deal, my bow, everything in flip flops oh, and my pants rolled up. And in South Korea and in South Korea. And the cast <laughs> right. is losing it and they're laughing at me. And I'm like, what is everybody laughing at? I walk off stage. and I'm like, oh, man, that's really unprofessional. <laughs> I didn't even realize. Yeah. I didn't even know. That's, oh. I didn't know. I didn't know. And so that was my, honestly, funny enough, like I had been so focused on on-camera work and stuff. That was my first professional musical theater job. And that opened up the world of musicals to me when I was like, that that show didn't earn me any uh, brownie points with the producers, but they, they, they forgave me. So I did that, uh, you know, and I, I worked in my 20s. I did a lot of commercials, a lot of local theater in LA, a lot of improv and sketch comedy. And then eventually I ended up going to grad school. I went and got my MFA at UC Irvine, also in Southern California, and did a ton of Shakespeare and American classics, musicals, and really upped my game um, as a stage actor, which was the real priority. And I and I taught actors and I taught voice and speech. And I came out of that, I think, with a better idea of how to how to navigate a stage career. And so that was that was my priority most of my 30s. And that eventually led to Adam's Family, which was a huge win for me. And then Lexi and I, on Adam's Family, we both booked Elf together. So mm-hmm. we went out on Elf for a season we and did that Elf as the husband season. and wife of Eddie's parents. And then, um, <laughs> yeah, then um, after getting married, Lexi and I were in, New- in LA for a year. Yeah. Um, which was great. I, I mean, it is, it's sort of my old home base and I knew it really well. But as I've, you know, Lexi has navigated this incredible theater career and I, really shifted gears from what I was doing in my 20s to my 30s that we eventually uh, knew that we had to go back to New York. So we we got back to New York uh, in 2015, and we've been based here ever since. And ever since then, it's been a, a really wild and beautiful career, like lots of, lots of regional theater. I've been able to finally break into television in New York and some incredible television opportunities, a lot of voiceovers. So I'm able to maintain this career as a, as a versatile actor. And Camera work is a big priority for me, but also like becoming a working Broadway actor is a priority for me. So I'm really at at this point in my life and career trying to balance all those things and really loving being a teacher. Like it's, I've expanded my role in Sharp Studios quite a bit over the last year. And I I absolutely love teaching actors. So I feel very blessed. My heart is full. Is that a a good origin story? Yeah. So good. That's a great nice. Speaking of balance, we are really big here at dressing room talk about talking about work-life balance and being transparent about making it work and how sometimes it doesn't work and i am very curious as well as grace to hear about what you do to sustain work-life balance and remember to come home and like be people and take off the actor hat or the director hat that balance is for me it's can it continues that that journey of figuring that out it's not super easy for me with that balance so i I've really leaned in. Um, I think for me, I don't know if your other guests or if you guys have ever talked about this. For me, like work-life balance actually means a lot of investing in what I need to sustain myself as a person and as a performer. So what I'm compelled to talk about with that is like the balance of valuing things like a morning routine or valuing my therapy or valuing when Jesse and I set a day off and we really say, Hey, we're not going to answer the studio emails today. You know, those are the things that can be really hard. It's very easy. Um, and what we do with our, with our studio for it to bleed into all the time, especially, you know, we used to do this on tour and we we've done it a few times here where we used to have to set time where after seven o'clock we don't talk about the show, right? Because when you're when you work so close with your partner, you're doing the same thing. If not, all of a sudden, like there are no boundaries of what are you taking home, what are you not? And it's the same thing a little bit with the studio. You know, we have to set time where a lot of times it's as easy as just putting the phone away, really, um, and not being available or putting the uh, computer away, but trying to set boundaries around that. That's what, yeah, that's what we've really, that's a huge thing for us is, is putting away whatever technology where somebody can reach us, you know, that 
the iMessage and the email is the trickiest thing to sort of put away, especially if you want to play a game on your phone or if, if your, if your phone is a part of the life part, you know, it gets, it gets Mm -hmm. tricky. Um, I've thought a lot about work-life balance since knowing we're going to do this podcast. And, um, it's honestly a hard topic to even figure out for me because in some ways, like the work that we do is what I want to be doing in life. Yeah. And that's, Mm. Working with actors is thrilling for me and getting to work as an actor is thrilling for me. So it is it is also my hobby and my passion. And so it can be very difficult, but it also, I don't know, it, I guess the last couple of days have been very exhilarating for me because it's with things sort of reopening, I found myself with a few more auditions than usual. And this week, especially, it feels like both my on-camera work and my commercial work is sort of Uh, really cooking. And so I wake up with a purpose of like, I get to be an actor today. Like I get to work with actors. I get to explore this craft. And then I get to be an actor. Like I, after we record this tonight, I have to shoot an audition and I'm not dreading it. I'm not worried about it. I'm exhilarated by it. I've, I've been sort of, it's given me that extra boost. So sometimes the all-encompassing nature of of our work can fuel the life part, but it, but it absolutely can also get. But you know what? Out. I think it's interesting because what I think Jesse's talking about right now, what I think is defining what is the work. Yeah. So I think so many actors define the work as the audition, the thing I have to do. That's the work. And I think is there a way to be more loving with the idea of work, and that work can be can it be fun work? Can it be the time to explore. I'm not trying to get anything right. I'm just trying to explore within my craft. Well, you know? yeah, and, and Michaela knows this from our work together. You know, I really, I really strive to treat auditions like my chance to act. It's my, and, I, and we think of it as a pitch and not a job interview. Uh, this is just a pitch of what I would do with the role, and this is my chance to do the thing I love to do. And so, like the thing I'm auditioning for tonight, I absolutely want this job more than anything. <laughs> but. Hmm. I also know that that's not going to help me. What's going to help me is really thinking about this is my chance to be an actor. This is my chance to have fun. This is my chance to do the thing that I have dedicated my life to and I've made all these sacrifices for. So, yeah. Yeah. And work-life balance is, it's hard for me. You know, I, not that Jesse works extremely hard, but I feel like he does a better job of turning on and off uh, when he needs to. And maybe it's that California thing, like the the chill California nature a little bit. Well, it is. I think it's a California thing. I also come from pretty easygoing people. Yeah, 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 for sure. And I think that really helps me because like, yeah, it is hard, but I am able to compartmentalize. And I know I do have my routines, like morning coffee is crucial for me. Yeah. And I absolutely get a lot out of it every single morning, reading the news, drinking coffee. I feel ready to to go through the day, even if it's a very full day of like teaching and an audition. And, you know, we just, <laughs> we just moved into a new place where we have a bigger apartment and a home studio now. And since late February, we've been working on this place. I mean, yeah. we, we just had our first in-person singing lesson in this studio yesterday where like a, a sound panel fell from the ceiling as we're recording this podcast. I'm like, okay, there's more work to do. Yeah. Got to revisit how to <laughs> stick the sound panels. Yeah. I I don't know that we're expert or great at it, but we do think about it a lot. And we do think about, okay, we do know when it is time to turn off work. And that's a thing where we can sort of, we, we have a good instinct for it. And I think as we go, we'll, we'll continue to, to get better at it. Yeah. And I, I'd say individually, I, this is something that's really changed for me over the years. Like, you know, I used to kind of wear my, uh, workaholic tendencies as like a badge of honor, you know, I'm, oh, I'm, Hmm. I work really hard. You know, you won't find someone working harder than Lexi, you know? And, um, Hmm. that is not something that I wear as much of a badge of honor anymore. In fact, it's something that I really, work to find better balance, to find more balance. I, one of my tricks that I do is, um, I used to schedule myself in my calendar, uh, with my middle name. So people didn't know, but my middle name was in my calendar. The first person I would cancel on to make things work for my clients or anything was, was me. 
you know, or if someone needed something. And I found that just like one level of separation to like schedule something in my schedule with my middle name at the time it's, it was Maria Elena. Now it's Dorset, but (laughs) at the time, so there would be like Maria Elena in my calendar and, you know, just, it would give me an extra second to make sure, like, do you really want to cancel on yourself? And kind of, that was a a trick that one of my mentors uh, gave me. And that's, it's something I still use to be honest with you. The calendar is king for me. I'm one of those people. I mean, it's in the calendar. Everything's in the calendar. I'm I'm hyper organized. I, I am not one of those uh, artists who's like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, no, I know this. If it's in the calendar, <laughs> I have a timeline <laughs> to actually schedule time and to put things. I mean, I used to put things in there like grocery shopping, Maria Elena, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, or smart, even just like smart. work on your own material. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I do that too. Lexi and I, are, it's funny, we're both highly organized, but in different ways. We Way just, different. We organize yeah. our calendars differently, <laughs> but we both have pretty specific systems. And that, I started doing that from the, probably as soon as I moved to LA, I really kept uh, a very serious calendar and to-do list. And I would put everything. I literally would say, okay, I have to grocery shop here. I have to go to the gym here. I'd put all of those things into a calendar, cross them off as I, as I would go along. And yeah, I remember my senior year at UCLA, was the craziest calendar I ever did because I I would literally do 18 hours a day, six days a week. I remember going to class super early, working after school at a restaurant. In those days, I was in a band that was rehearsing in Orange County. So I would drive an hour to Orange County for band practice and get home at midnight. And my entire senior year was like that. So I would schedule within an inch of my life. So that doesn't really sound like work-life balance, but it definitely was, it was well thought out and organized, I guess. But you know, I definitely, I, I would make time to like, what I really liked to do was go to the theater, go to the movies and go see bands play. And I did all of those things all the time. Like, so I would in that, within that crazy schedule, I'd be like, okay, at eight o'clock, you're going to go see an improv show. And then you're going to go to band practice in the middle of the night. Like we would do, I just had a crazy schedule like that. Yeah. But I think what you're also talking about is like work life. Again, it goes back to like, how do you define different things? You know, what, what I have worked more on that's been helpful is like, work versus creative play space. So like, you know, work could be, oh, I'm working on this song that's really difficult that can easily frustrate me because I need to get it right. Creative play space is, this is an hour for me to work on a song that never has any intention of going in my book or to fiddle around on my ukulele without the idea of anyone ever seeing it on Instagram or, or ever promoting myself. Just a chance for me to be creative within my own creative space. Yeah, that's that's the really interesting thing about creative people is because the work and life can be so interconnected. Yeah, and to me, that's like, it's almost like yes. work play balance versus work life yeah, balance. Yeah, that's a, that's like a good in, ooh, yeah. And that's the thing that I've been much better at And scheduling over the years, especially after I, you know, the last couple of years with, uh, through my therapy and things, you know, talking with my therapist, it's like, yeah, why I'm not setting aside time that I can just be messy and creative with myself. And that's when I feel like my most self. And that gives me energy to show up and do all the other things that maybe have more structure to it. Yeah. I will say we both feel very lucky to have our studio space now. We're, we're recording this from our new studio. I mean, it's just a, it's a bedroom that we converted, but it is a dedicated space to teaching, auditioning and, and playing. And it is a, it's an inspirational space. Like I know that when Lexi has an hour between singing clients, I can hear her just hanging out in here, playing her ukulele, singing. It's So I think having dedicated space to do what, you do is can be so helpful and it's very hard for people with roommates and I, you know Lexi and I lived in tiny one bedroom apartments in New York City where there was just like corners dedicated to the studio space versus its actual room yeah uh, and also I'm better about like I set up the studio if I'm going to teach virtually or in person whatever it is I set up the studio the night before and I close the door and then the next morning it's all set up ready for me to go and when I close the door, it's, it, it has that metaphoric idea of also I'm closing, you know, the door for yeah. the day. Yeah, it's. I mean, think about right. 
painters or visual artists, like space is so crucial yeah. to create. And it's like, as performing artists, we need space too. When, when we're in school, we have rehearsal rooms and all these things to practice and play. And then when we get out into the world, it's we usually have to rent those spaces. Yeah, and I think that the thing I see uh, younger artists doing that I'm sure I did myself, you know, I was trying to figure out, it's like in college, if you go to a program, if you're going to a BA program, BFA program, whatever it is, you have all this designated playtime. Not everything you're doing in college at every moment is for your audition book. Then people get out in the world and it's like, it's not valuable unless it's for an audition or it's not valuable unless it's for yeah. my book. And it's like, the reason your auditions can be joyous is because you're not relying on that to be your only creative outlet. You know, I feel like sometimes people are putting so much pressure on the audition. It's like, well, this is my chance to do my thing. It's like, it's just as valid to be in your room doing your thing, playing the ukulele, figuring it out. It won't have so much pressure yeah. uh, around it. And I think to be in class just to play, you know. Be in class. Yeah, just Lexi to play. Work on a monologue that you're never going to do. Oh, like, yeah. Like you just do, to explore the text. It, it's it's such a good thing. Lexi takes class on Monday nights with yeah. a really great group that is literally just to sing in a group. Um and I don't think you think of that as audition prep ever, right? No, sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes I might bring something and I'm saying, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. It's a lot of like, I don't know if this works on me sometimes. Um, but a lot of times it's, hey, I'm going to sing this song. I want to just explore and see what it is. Yeah. I mean, and, I know last night it was just for fun, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. That's so it cool. It makes me think that I, I need to get back into a scene study class because I, I remember... When I got out of grad school, I was so used to being in class. When I that year I was in LA before Adam's family, I took so many classes, and I was uh, the work was just to explore the playwrights and really dive into those characters, and it was so fun. And so I think I need to do that. Yeah, got to get back into that. Shifting gears in the conversation too to like bring up the pandemic and uh, to ask you guys what you've been doing to continue that work life balance within that, but also continue your careers. What has life been like? <laughs> Um, and look, I'm not going to lie, especially the first year of it, it was incredibly difficult. And we taught a lot and we expanded our business and we we found ways to be creative here and there. But we both, I think, deeply missed our our performing outlets, you know, and mm. at the beginning of the pandemic, there was there were a lot of tape requests and people being like, we think we're going to do a show this summer. So for the first couple of months, we were putting tapes together um for for theater jobs and i i managed to work a little bit i did a voiceover i did a a sort of shoot at home commercial but it was it was hard and it was personally hard for me and i went through a lot of difficulties and crises of <laughs> various kinds like anybody it was a really challenging time i will say now maybe the past 2 months or so that theater is coming back it's been exhilarating because we actually are putting out audition tapes again you know it's like even if they're just open call requests for a, a theater season or somebody or a, a national tour or a broadway show the fact that they're asking for tapes is exhilarating so we're we're making tapes and we're talking to our eight with lexi and i have the same agent if we weren't uh connected on every intermingled level, enough. intermingled <laughs> enough. We've been talking to our agent more about strategy and recognizing that things are coming back. So the past couple months have been exhilarating, but, but during the, the most difficult parts of it, it was like, it was day to day, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I've always had a big teaching load, I, I think. Yeah. Um, but I really dove in and in some ways, um, I felt lucky. We, we had already been set up to teach online. I'd been teaching online for years um, so that pivot to virtual was no big deal for us, meaning we didn't have to learn how to figure out technology. I already knew that there was a delay on my end to the client's end with the piano. In that regard, I felt prepared to teach and actually had a lot of colleagues and things reach out that were saying, you know, how do you teach online or I'm teaching at a camp online? How do I do this? And I, it made me feel good to be helpful to have that kind of information to have already figured that out. And it made me feel good to be helpful for my clients. You know, sometimes it's easier to convince yourself everything's going to be okay. If, you, if you're convincing other people all day, it's going to be okay. Mm. <laughs> or at least like listening to other people. And it was an interesting time because it wasn't a time where there was a lot of auditions, but I really pushed with my clients the value of continuing to, to sing 
because it makes them feel like them. Mm-hmm. And that shift, I mean, it's kind of what we're talking about. Like, what's the purpose someone might ask of taking voice lessons if there's not any auditions to prepare for? Because it makes you feel like you and you're going through a trauma in the world because it's who you are, because it gives you a chance to improve yourself and and improve your gifts and make you feel confident in who you are and what you offer. So I really took the time to dive in with my own teacher. I take with um, Amy Murphy. I've taken with her for years since I was a kid, and she's still my voice teacher who I see once a week. And I made sure not to miss my own lessons, and I really worked for my singing space for all of my clients to be a place where they could feel like themselves for 30 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour. And, and that way it made me feel really helpful during this kind of helpless time for a lot of people. Yeah. Ditto. Where do you guys see the industry going and how do you feel about things opening back up and like, what are your dreams and where do you see yourself as we get back to what we love? Yeah. I think it's going to take a minute. I do. I think, um, the excitement of everything, opening back up. I am ready to ride that wave of excitement. Um, and with the rest of the world, there's so many other things, sports and all these things that are opening up that I'm like, surely we can figure this out, right? Like surely we'll be okay (laughs) in a theater, you know, like there'll be less people. Surely we're all going to get this. What I'm hoping there is, is a lot of new work. What I'm hoping is that, um, this is an opportunity for people who've created things before the pandemic, or maybe during the pandemic to try new things out. So I'm, I'm hoping that this next period really is like the renaissance that everyone is saying could happen after times of trauma. Yeah, I, I kind of believe that. I mean, I think we're what right now we're seeing most of what was open on Broadway reopening, and that makes sense. And I'm happy for everyone who has a job. And I, and I think it's fantastic. I think ultimately over the next five, 10 years or so, we're going to see some really exciting, bold new theater. Also that Mm. prioritizing voices that have not uh, been at the forefront in the arts is a huge priority for everybody involved. And I think we're going to see some amazing stories that that may not have been told before. Or maybe not as prioritized. Maybe not as prioritized. That's very exciting. And so I, I think we're in for some interesting times. I think People absolutely need theater. They need live music. I, I would not be surprised if fall 2021 and you know going into 2022 are actually way busier tourist times for New York City um, and big cities all over the world. I, I really think people are itching to travel to be with other people. And hopefully the people in charge in the world can um, get everyone vaccinated and get vaccines to poorer countries um, and make sure that we can really, really, truly beat this thing and get back to being human again. Good answers. Do you want to ask your favorite question? Oh, I do. So this is my favorite question to ask uh, our guests this season. This is something I was asked in college in my theater program. I think it's one of the best questions I've ever been asked, and I'm still trying to answer it every day, and the answer changes year by year. But um, I just want you to kind of close your eyes and imagine that that door in that studio opens and um, your 21-year-old self walks through the door and she's like getting all her stuff ready to go as you're driving to the city. What would you tell her today? Like what would what advice would you give her today about the world, what's to come, what she should do, how she should feel in this moment and all of that? Yeah. So my first thought is to tell her to chill out. That's my first thought. Like, girl, chill out. It's going to be okay. Like, my God. Um, yeah, I mean, I was just trying to do it all, especially, you know, um, it's it's back to that thing I was kind of talking about earlier about like, just like so much determination and like all of that, which is great, um, but not in excess. So I would say, you know, chill out, girl. It's going to be fine. I would tell her to not date the person she's dating right now. I'd be like, you're going to want to get out of that sooner than later, babe. Um, And I know that it feels comfortable because it's a relationship you've been in for a minute. But like, girl, it ain't it. Jump on that. Bow out of that a little bit sooner. And I think what it really is to me is... I feel like this might be something I, I get this a lot from my clients and I, I always try to think like, was I like that too? Did I have these ideas? And I might've, you know, in your career, you're not ever going to arrive 
add anything. Does that make sense? Like, I feel like everyone's waiting to arrive. Like I'm waiting for that big contract and, and then you get that. And then what, you know, I'm waiting Mm. for my Broadway show and then someone gets that. And then what? So I would tell her to embrace something that I've learned to embrace now and love. And I would tell her is like, you want to be an artist, right? Yeah. This is what you want to do, right? Yeah. So just do it day to day, like do it and, and quit trying to be like, well, when is this coming? Or when am I going to have this? Or when am I going to, because, you know, I've, I've been lucky enough to have some of those moments, right? I've had my first national tours. I've had those moments. They're great and they're awesome. And they're validating for like the day that those press releases coming out, you know, come out and 300 people text you and they're like, congratulations, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you go out on the road for two years with something and it's you out there with the audience and, and your integrity and, and your show and your art. And what I'm trying to say is that it, you never, you're always going to be reaching for the next thing. So quit trying to check boxes off and just sit in, buckle in and follow the things that excite you. Quit trying to get it right outside in all the time and just buckle in and follow the things that excite you. You know, does this audition notice excite you? Great. Audition for that. Does this other one feel like an obligation? Great. Let it go. You know, like I really do believe that like what is meant for you is not going to pass you by. And if you really do believe that, then you're not going to miss out on anything. And I think I had a little bit of that energy at 21 of like not wanting to miss out or mess up an opportunity if it came. And that's that perfectionism thing. I don't want to mess it up. But all of that hesitation or all of that energy could be better used just listening to yourself. Ooh, that got me good. Yeah. Haven't heard that from anyone. Yeah. So unique. Yeah. Yeah. And like specific to like your younger self, but also relates to all of us. Yeah. I want to go back and listen yeah. to see what your other guests said about it. You know, we have chosen a business that is filled with rejection. So the sooner that that's just part of it and not something that brings you down, the better, mm. you know, but I do feel like I was trying to check boxes. When will I feel successful? What do I need to do to feel successful in this field? And the truth of the matter is, you know, when I just started like following what excited me and looking at things and being like, that's me, that's, I can do that. That's when things started happening for me. If the pandemic has taught us anything, it's like, do we really have control over anything? Why are we trying to control every moment? We are, we're trying to be like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be in New York. You know, this was me at 21. I'm going to be in New York for five years. I'm going to give it a good five years. I'm going to try to do this. And it's like, what? No, this is what I want to do. Like, you know, hopefully I'll do a tour. And like, luckily I did, you know, and something I I think I told you, Michaela, but I do think is just so important. And it's something I would, I would say to my 21 year old self is I can look at every job I've ever gotten. That was a big deal. You know, one of those, and I can point to the job right before it that I thought was mine and that they have always led to the next thing. So like, even with Young Frankenstein, I had gone in for the Beauty and the Beast tour and was in the finals and was sure it was me and it was not me, but that team brought me in for Young Frankenstein. You know, um, it's always the job before that you think is it, that is rarely it, but it leads to the next one. And I really do believe that. And keep trying and showing up and being one of those people that people wanna work with. That's the biggest advice that I have for anybody and for my 21 year old self is you want to know who works the people that they love being in the room with people who love to collaborate with. That's who works. It's not the best. It's the person that you're like, I mean, think about it. You're creating something. Everybody is nervous. Everybody wants to be, feel like they're successful, whether that's the choreographer or the director, the music director or the actors that are cast. Everyone wants the show to be successful in order to do that, everyone has to feel comfortable and be collaborative and be joyous. And I think that that is the thing that like matters more than anything is be somebody people want to work with, create with, because that's the thing that's going to be just as important, if not more so than, you know, can you hit this note? They'll change the key. They, they do it all the time. 
If it's like Jesse's a really good example of, we want Jesse will change the key. It happens all the time for him. Or we want Jesse, you know, maybe we'll give, we won't do this dancing part. We'll just give it to somebody else. Like that stuff happens because <laughs> they want to work with him. Um, and yeah, I feel like yeah. so many times, like people look at a breakdown, they're like, oh, well, you know, all of this works, except it says must be this or must have this. And I'm not sure. I'm like, well, go and let them find out if that matters to them or not. See if it matters. You know, when I got School of Rock, I was in for Miss Sheinkoff, which is a much smaller role. And I was brought in for the cover for Rosalie, which is the lead that I ended up uh, booking. But because I thought I was in for the cover, uh, and if you had looked at the original breakdown, there's absolutely no way I would have thought that that would have been me. The original role was played by Sierra Bogus, And aside from like us both having red hair, there's really not a lot of similarities. She's like this gorgeous operatic soprano. And I mean, Ariel and Little Mermaid, like I would, she would be Ariel. I would be Ursula. Do you know what I mean? Like that is the kind, yeah. if you want to follow type, <laughs> like there's absolutely no reason that I should be playing Rosalie. But because I was brought in for a cover and because I chose to make it my own because I was like, oh, it's just the cover. All they need to know is that I can do it in a pinch. So I'm going to make a bunch of really bold choices and show them I can sing it and show them how I think it should be played. And I <laughs> ended up leaving with the role. And I talk about this all the time. I'm like, if my agent had sent me in for Rosalie, I don't think I would have booked it because I think I would have been still trying to do something of like, how can I make myself more Sierra Bogus like How can I make myself more like the archetype of this before, which is against everything I preach to my students. But I would have done that because we have these preconceived notions. And the only reason I booked Rosalie is because I didn't think I was up for it. I was like, oh, this is just, I'm going to, I'm just going to show them I'm a, I'm funny and I'm fun to work with. And I can go out as Miss Sheinkoff, hopefully, and cover Rosalie and go on every once in a while. And then from that tour, they changed the breakdown. And, you know, the breakdown that went out your year two as like my covers, it was like, the way I play it, the breakdown was completely changed. And that was like really cool to realize that like, oh, the way that they might consider casting this, there's like a UK tour of it right now and things, it, it might be more of my version of this character. That's, that's one of those moments though, that were kind of like, I felt completely free to be myself and interpret the text the way I would. And those are the moments that I've had the greatest reward. Yeah, that's so great. Wow. Are, are we ready to bring Jesse in? Oh, yeah. Bring Jesse. We gotta, we gotta ask oh, Jesse yeah. <laughs> I did hear one thing, which was uh, I heard Lexi say one thing sort of from afar, which was. Oh, I'm uh, excited. What was it? <laughs> they will change the key uh, for my husband. <laughs> oh, All yeah. of you know that I can hit some pretty high notes. So I don't oh, know if they're changing the key. Anywho, so this is a question that. Um, <laughs> Like I told Lexi, I got this question in my undergrad a lot, and I um, am still trying to answer it and look back at it all the time. But I want you to close your eyes and okay. imagine that your 18, 19-year-old self walks in through this studio door, and you only get like a little bit of time with him. What would you say to that, Jesse, knowing what you know today and all the things you've been through today about the career and life and what's to come <laughs> and ECC? Oh, uh... I would tell him to take his opportunities in the business more seriously. That's what I would tell him. Um, when I was 18, 19, I was very, very dedicated to, to building this career, very excited about this career. But I don't think I realized how lucky I was to get some of the breaks that I got very early. And I had some big auditions that I, I just kind of blew. I just, you know, I, I, they weren't terrible, but had I put in more effort, I probably would have gotten farther. And I'm not a person that really lives with regrets, but I do think some of the things I was up for, I kind of thought like, yeah, this is show business. Like you move to LA, you drive to a studio lot and audition for a pilot. Like I thought that's what, I thought that's what it was. And what I didn't know is that as I got older, those opportunities would actually be fewer and fewer. And so... I think that's the only thing and like listen listen to what the business is telling you which is probably a, new, a unique answer for you guys because I know a lot of people are probably oh, yeah. like calm down everything's going to yeah. be fine and, and I think <laughs> that's a common answer. <laughs> you know, I wasn't anxious to be honest. I was excited and I 
had a lot of confidence and I was having fun. I was really excited about being like 18, 19. I was driving to LA for my first classes. And at 20, I moved to Los Angeles and I was like really excited about being a young, like scrappy, starving actor and, and doing that whole thing. And so I never felt like I didn't belong. Like I really felt like I knew who I was. Um, I was lucky in that way. And it could have been because I grew up outside of LA and I, and I was so into show business that I just kind of, I, I felt like I belonged right away, but I did not realize that I was lucky to be getting the kind of auditions that I got. And while I booked a couple of them and, and I trained and I grew and I became a better performer and I had a great time, there were a couple that I just, if I invested a little more time in the audition, and if I was paying attention to what the business was telling me, I would have invested in sort of different ways. Like I, I had a lot of opportunities with potential hosting type of jobs. Like I was always auditioning for MTV. I came incredibly close to co-hosting American Idol. There were these like Whoa. really wild opportunities for being on television. But for me, I was like, oh, I'm an actor. I want to do sketch comedy. I want to do this. I want to do that. I don't care about this kind of thing. So I just would wing it in the audition room. And that, that only goes so far. And so I think I would have invested in getting a host reel together and actually shooting some footage. And so there were sort of opportunities that I had that I I didn't really listen to what the business was telling me, which was I was valuable as like an on-camera personality in addition to being an actor, um, which later led to like doing Vince Fontaine in Greece, like that kind of thing. I've kind of been down that lane several times in my career. So yeah, I mean, I think that's a, that's a unique thing for me to tell my younger self to to invest more in the thing that's that's kind of right in front of you. That's what I tell myself. <laughs> Very nice. unique answers from both yeah. of you. Yeah, thank you for being <laughs> transparent with us. <laughs> All right. So this is Grace's favorite question now. Yeah, my question is far less deep. <laughs> so have you been listening to, watching, reading, anything good. It doesn't have to do with theater or with what we've talked about so far. If it's just something good that you're just like, mm, people need to see this, watch it, listen to it, um, please share. We want to know. Randomly, I have been watching A Streetcar Named Desire, the original film. Uh, yeah. During the height of the pandemic, I was going back to old movies quite a bit, and I'm trying to watch classic Hollywood films, uh, foreign films, just sort of more interesting content than what's right in front of us. And I, I woke up one morning and didn't have anything to like catch up on or anything. And I was like, what is on HBO Max? And I was like, you know what? I haven't seen Streetcar probably since I was 19. And I'm very curious about what is so special about these performances? That was, it was really out of curiosity. And I've, only, I've been watching like 10, 15 minutes a morning. I'm halfway, this is like over the past few days. And it's fascinating to me just to watch Marlon Brando because his acting in that movie in particular and in On the Waterfront and some other movies, like some of that is held up as like, this is the greatest acting. This is the best you can be. You know, there's so much hyperbole involved in describing these sort of legendary method actors. And it's really interesting 70 years later to look at it and be like, what is he actually doing? And so I've been watching it objectively, trying to get to the bottom of his process, particularly his performance. Although Vivian Lee is also really interesting um, as Blanche Dubois because she's sort of out of place. So the, ma the majority of the movie's cast are people who came from Broadway, but Blanche uh, was Jessica Tandy on Broadway. She won the Tony. And then they replaced her with Vivian Lee, who was, of course, Scarlett O'Hara. And she's so much more of a film icon. And she is doing this very classic Hollywood performance and everyone else is sort of method acting. And it's a fascinating thing so i'm randomly watching like 10 minutes of streetcar a day <laughs> i um hmm. i start most of my mornings jesse can tell you this and my friends can tell you this i literally spend my first 20 minutes after waking up after like you know by the time i have my coffee just watching funny videos and memes that's all i do and my friends know <laughs> it so they all send them to me and then I get to pick because I get so excited about them. I can't show Jesse all of them because it interrupts his morning. So I try to pick like one or two 
And I even have this saying where I'm like, can this be one of my showings? I love that she has this <laughs> saying because she will show me six, seven memes. Yeah. And I'm like, and I'm like hey. you have to watch this person <laughs> fall off a table. I'm like, you have to watch this. It's so good. Like, I'm like, this person just stumbles right off the table. So a lot of mine is, is looking at that kind of stuff. Um, I also like, I don't know, as a lady with anxiety, I like to know what happens in shows. So I, I stick to things I've already watched all the way through. So I watch a lot of like The Office. Um, I watch a lot of Parks and Rec. Um, and then when I'm not watching that, I go the extreme and I watch murder. So I watch Dateline. So I love like a lot of true crime. And that is that's really what I stick to at night when I'm falling asleep. I'm e- either watching like a murder mystery of Dateline and trying to figure it out like as it goes because it actually makes my the rest of my brain shut down because I'm like actually trying to figure out the mystery behind it or mm-hmm. I just have to watch something light like Parks and Rec and The Office. Yeah, and that's around bedtime. I'll usually watch 10 minutes of whatever Lexi is going to watch and then I'll fall asleep. Yeah, and Jesse doesn't always <laughs> like to watch Murder at Night because it gives him nightmares. But I feel, I fall right asleep. I feel good. No nightmares for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, this was... I, I feel honored <laughs> and blessed. Oh, well, like a weird word to say, but truly to have you guys on the podcast today and all of your incredible advice and wisdom and hearing your experiences and sharing them has just been so lovely. So from the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for being here. Oh, I, I hope there's, you know, it's one of those things when you do things like this, I'm like, did we say anything of note? Like was anything <laughs> we said actually helpful? So like much. I wonder, are, yeah. are people going to be like, Skip, skip. She's still no. talking about that. So skip. Yeah. And I'm like, we get it. She's from Alabama. She's from Alabama. Skip. How many ums did I say that poor Jim is going to have to edit out? I can't. Um, well, thank you. It was it was fun. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I'm so glad. I feel like sometimes we get asked these questions and you like get new insight into yourself and who you are yeah. at that moment. So I hope you guys got some of that from yeah. us. Yeah, we really hope that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Could you guys share where people can find you? Yes, please do. Yeah, you can find us at sharpstudios.net. Yeah, our Instagram is sharpstudios.lanyc, as in like Los Angeles, New York City, but sharpstudios.lanyc. I'm also, I have a website, uh, Lexi, L-E-X-I-E, D-sharp, S-H-A-R-P, dot com. And you can find me at jessesharp.net, J-E-S-S-E, no I, jessesharp. Dot net. This is a dot, dot net. Jesse baby. Dot net. Yes. And then it's the same, my full name on Instagram. So at Lexi, L-E-X-I-E, Dorset, D-O-R-S-E-T-T-S-H-A-R-P for Instagram. And I am at Mr. Jesse Sharp on Instagram. So we have very interesting names, you know, keeping people <laughs> guessing. <laughs> it is us. Grace, can you take us through the social media and then we'll uh, have them sign off? Yeah, so our email is dressingroomtalk at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter. That is dressingpod. You can find us on Instagram at dressingroomtalkpod. Facebook, dressingroomtalkpodcast. Michaela, what is our website? puddledropmedia.com slash dressingroomtalk. All the links to the episodes for season two are there. All of our pictures, all of the links to the lovely people, our lovely guests, and their website is on there. And with that, Lexi and Jesse, please take it away. Sign us off. I'm Jesse. I'm Lexi. I'm Michaela. I'm Grace. And And this is Dressing Room Talk. Talk.